Chapter 12. Everyone Takes Amphetamines. I have a quote which is anonymous. We used to have a name for the sufferers of ADHD. We called them boys. Background. For opioids, the deaths, addiction, and social destruction are the drug industry's fault. There's no controversy. There's even now an anemic effort to fine and sometimes imprison a handful of people who were partly responsible for the death of more individuals than most wars. There's no consensus, however, for the closely related situation of amphetamines and similar stimulants, possibly because there are only 10,000 U.S. deaths a year. Doctors who are in the pockets of manufacturers still proclaim with straight faces that amphetamine-class prescriptions are worlds apart from the same drugs used for abuse. They say that we are under-medicating despite close to universal usage. Physicians promote prescription stimulants for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, that's ADHD, and other syndromes. Classroom misbehavior gets kids a quick prescription these days. Fidgeting, squirming, interrupting, forgetting, and being disorganized are the symptoms. For adults, the criteria are inattention, hyperactivity, impulsivity, and other similar issues. This has made 10% of our children and many adults, quote, legitimate drug candidates. American psychiatrists now treat ADHD with at least 50 medications listed on drugs.com. These include antidepressants, stimulants, and even antivirals. Most are FDA Schedule II, the category that includes cocaine, Demerol, and other drugs considered the most hazardous. Schedule I drugs have no accepted medical use. Antidepressants and milder Schedule IV stimulants, such as Provigil, are also used. The four chemically similar drugs on the table below are used to treat most of the ADHD cases. They all have similar effects and toxicities, all are Schedule II, and they are all produced by drug makers. Psychiatrists split hairs about their differences, and patients have somewhat individual reactions, but these medications are far more alike than different. Methamphetamine is first on the list below. It is the same chemical as the street drug meth. It is manufactured both legally and illegally in the U.S. Most meth comes from Mexico. Recreational use entails uncontrolled doses that are often many times stronger than the prescriptions. Then I have the table, which includes meth, Adderall, Ritalin, and Vives Concerta. The 2020 National Survey on Drug Use and Health estimated that in 2017, there were more than 1.2 million meth abusers in the U.S., in 2010, there were 1854 fatalities, but by 2017, the deaths had climbed to over 10,000. The next section is entitled History and Use. The first amphetamine was discovered in Berlin in 1887, and they became widely used in the 1960s. The FDA approved them initially to treat obesity, and they saturated our society. The studios famously gave Judy Garland amphetamines and barbiturates when she was a child actor in The Wizard of Oz. Their goal was both to keep her slender and also to keep her going during their brutal filming schedule. She struggled with addiction her whole life and finally died of an overdose at 47. In 1987, an American Psychiatric Association committee voted the ADHD diagnosis into existence. 
This updated the, quote, minimal brain dysfunction, another vague label. This, quote, hyperactivity of children is the drug's current primary indication. Through a political process involving consensus statements of experts, more diagnoses were soon concocted and the prescriptions multiplied. Psychiatrists now regard the syndrome as a neurological disease. But there is no physiological evidence for this, just opinion. To promote legitimacy, psychiatry has voted names for these syndromes in and out of fashion. They give the terms gravitas by publication in the DSM, their diagnostic manual. However, many physicians and others have repeatedly questioned the credibility of the entire process. For example, in 1979, the FDA forbade the use of the minimal brain dysfunction name, which had created a fiction of an organic cause or a structural brain abnormality, but the psychiatrist soon replaced it. The descriptions of hyperactive kids have mutated over the decades. Minimal brain damage from the early 1960s, learning or behavioral disabilities, hyperactivity, hyperkinetic reaction of childhood, 1968, attention deficit disorder, ADD, some with hyperactivity, 1980, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, since 1987. Over a hundred symptoms are supposedly associated with this syndrome, including dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, visual perceptual problems, dysarthria, hyperactivity, reduced attention span, temper tantrums, aggression, clumsiness, vague spells. By definition, the intellect is unaffected. The psychiatrists claim 10 to 20 percent of the population has this problem. Medication effects. These drugs slow down hyperactive kids and help some of them concentrate better. But if children take larger doses, they get high and hopped up. After the childhood market became saturated, drug marketers went after adults, and several of these medications were soon FDA-approved for them as well. With low doses, many adults slow down, but they become more active with higher doses. These stimulants all increase heart rate, blood pressure, and temperature. Reduced appetite, weight loss, and temporary high alertness are common effects. Workers may use the amphetamine relatives to work double or triple shifts. They get them by prescription from the street or sometimes from their own kids. The industry marketed a five-minute ADHD questionnaire to make the diagnosis. School teachers who have kids with hard-to-manage behavior often start the process. In many places, they refer the kid to a primary care doctor. Some of these physicians have been called, quote, prescription automats because they briefly examine the patient and pass the drugs out like jelly beans. If the parents refuse to let their son, boys of course get drugged much more than girls, take medicine, teachers and others may pressure them. There are reports of referral to Child Protective Services for, quote, non-compliant parents. There may be threats and even occasional court orders involved, and some children have been taken away. Websites encourage parents to take legal action against their spouse or former spouse if they disagree about the need for medications. Lawyers regard this subject as legally fascinating, and it has become a topic of law reviews. Those who doubt the benefit of the drugs have criticized this process bitterly. The youngest kids in each grade often display behavior that is not as well controlled as their peers, and they may get diagnosed. The critics say the drugs suppress healthy childhood behaviors, particularly for boys, for the convenience and comfort of teachers, with little regard for long-term safety or efficacy. 
The corporations disease-mongered the ADHD diagnosis into near-ubiquitous use, starting with the invention of the name Adderall, which sounds like ADD for all. The next section is stimulant arms. There are hundreds of reports of cardiac problems, including fatalities. Since illegal meth is used in higher doses, the short-term problems are more obvious. These amphetamine relatives produce depression, sleeplessness, anxiety, and sometimes delusions or even hallucinations. When this happens, doctors push other diagnoses on the kids. These include depression, bipolar, anxiety, and obsessive-compulsive disorder. The drugs are rarely discontinued. Instead, new symptoms, or rather side effects, get treated with a variety of other medications. The worst part is the kids become convinced that there is something permanently wrong with them and they turn into lifelong customers of the drug makers. The following are some expert opinions. Bruce Perry, leading neuroscientist and senior fellow of the Child Trauma Academy in Houston, Texas, says that childhood hyperactivity is not a real disease. He states there are no long-term benefits of the drugs and that no study has ever shown benefits for ADHD. He cites the animal studies that reveal brain damage. Fred Boffman describes studies showing brain atrophy or shrinkage in the ADHD fraud book published in 2006. Richard Saul, MD, who wrote ADHD Does Not Exist in 2014, says the drug makers invented and promoted the whole syndrome with a collusion of psychiatrists all for profit, ignoring the harm done to vulnerable young people. In 1987, there were 500,000 U.S. children on the stimulants. Since then, the numbers have exploded, and now nearly 5 million kids are taking the drugs. Edward Hallowell wrote books and made his living promoting these drugs. He said, however, quote, I hate to think I have had a hand in creating that problem. And he apologized for saying these medications were safer than aspirin. He said, we now make ADHD diagnoses in a slipshod fashion, and he believes prescribing the drugs as, quote, mental steroids is wrong. Keith Connors is a psychologist and professor emeritus at Duke, who is said to have invented the stimulant treatment of children. He resurfaced in recent years, calling the use of the medications, quote, a national disaster of dangerous proportions. The numbers make it look like an epidemic. Well, it's not. It's preposterous, a concoction used to justify the giving out of medication at unprecedented and unjustifiable levels. Connors woke up to the problems when he read a massive study that showed only a few percent of the children who got prescriptions had ADHD. He says he deeply regrets the way we now use the drugs. Roger Griggs was the executive for Shire Pharmaceuticals, the company that introduced Adderall in 1994. He said recently that his opinions have changed, and he believes these drugs should not be marketed because of the dangers. He says they are, quote, nuclear bombs to be used only under extreme circumstances and with careful monitoring. Peter Bregan, MD, is a psychiatrist who has dedicated his career to warning about the harms of these medications. He writes, quote, once you've given the child a stimulant medication, the child is very likely to get euphoric, get depressed, get irritable, get angry, get upset, and that can lead to a misdiagnosis of bipolar disorder. Forty years later, 
children started in the 70s on small doses of stimulant drugs for ADHD can end up as career mental patients with a higher mortality rate, a higher suicide rate, a higher rate of incarceration, a higher rate of mental hospitalization, lower economic and educational success. They have increased obesity and they have atrophy of the brain. That's from his book, Psychiatric Drug Withdrawal, published in 2012. Here are some stimulant studies. Vibhor Prasad and others did a meta-analysis of 43 studies with 2,110 patients in 2012. He concluded the stimulants made ADHD patients better. But this was refuted by Richard Saul. Quote, the review's results were only reported as percentage on an undefined scale without standard deviations. Furthermore, the quality of the trials was poor. Two-thirds of the trials couldn't be included in the meta-analysis and most had problems with missing data and didn't report an adequate randomization method. There was a huge scope for reporting bias and there must have been unblinding bias as the drugs have conspicuous side effects. That's from his book, ADHD Does Not Exist, The Truth About Attention Deficit and Hyperactivity Disorder, published in 2014. Another example. Gonan and his team in 2012 reviewed 47 research papers about ADHD published during the 1990s. They said, of the top 10 papers, seven claimed to verify novel hypotheses. Of these, the conclusions of six were either completely refuted or substantially weakened by subsequent investigations. The seventh has neither been confirmed nor denied. A long-term study of over 500 children revealed stunted growth without behavioral improvement. A 2018 study of nearly 600 seven- to nine-year-old boys also showed ADHD medication stunted their growth by an average of two inches. The next section is the evolution of the problem. ADHD diagnoses have exploded. Here are the numbers. According to the American Psychiatric Association, about 8.4% of American children and 2.4% of adults now have ADHD. The CDC's 2017 number is 11% of the 4- to 17-year-olds. In Louisiana, the state was supposedly the highest ADHD rate. Up to 50% of the boys in some elementary schools are diagnosed, and 93% of them are treated with medications. Between 2008 and 12, the number of Americans who took these medications rose 36% to over 4.8 million people. Another source confirmed prescription stimulant usage in the U.S. doubled from 2006 to 2016. The media is constantly and breathlessly reporting figures about this, quote, disease. Everyone seems to believe that the kids, not the doctors, have the problem. The U.S. uses 70% of the stimulants consumed worldwide and 75% of all prescription drugs. ADHD is now the second most frequent long-term diagnosis for children after asthma. These drug makers have paid immense criminal settlements. Teva Pharmaceuticals, for example, had a $1.2 billion FTC settlement for pay-to-delay agreements to keep Adderall on patent. It's a complex and unappetizing story. Janssen Pharmaceuticals is the maker of Concerta, which is another brand name for Ritalin and a subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson. They paid $2.2 billion to settle criminal and civil charges in 2013 for the alleged promotion of several drugs for uses unapproved by the FDA and payment of kickbacks to physicians 
and a long-term care pharmacy provider. Civil litigants have also filed many personal injury and class action lawsuits against the stimulant manufacturers, alleging childhood violence and suicidality. I interviewed students at several Ivy League universities. They frequently use Provigil, a milder Schedule IV stimulant, or sometimes one of the four Schedule II drugs in the table above to study, take exams, and write papers. Many, if not most, students in these top schools use the drugs. They claim they must take them to compete. The rumors say that a third of students in Ivy League schools have a, quote, legitimate diagnosis. They sell their medications to their peers. A Michigan College study found that 9% of those surveyed had current prescriptions for Adderall and 24% had gotten some and used it. The kids are familiar with these drugs and they have preferences. For example, some like the extended release versions best. A story I heard was, quote, when I take Provigil, I get constipated and pick at my skin. Adderall is much better. Another student said, quote, I don't socialize as much when I take Ritalin. Drug consumption starts in prep school. Faking symptoms and getting a prescription is easy. Both the amphetamine-type medications and the opioids are readily available for sale from retirees on fixed incomes. Provigil can be purchased online without a prescription from foreign pharmacies. Parents take their kids' medications, and the kids borrow their friends. The street price at East Coast colleges is $2 to $5 a pill for Adderall at the time of publication. In 1991, after a lobbying effort by manufacturers, ADHD became a disability on the, under the Federal Individuals with Disability Education Act. Kids get extra time on tests, including the SAT. Entire families can get disability benefits sometimes. The result is that children take less responsibility for their behavior. They may have fewer chances to learn how to control themselves, and they may have less pressure to improve because of their purported condition. The future. Marketing researchers have seen how lucrative this industry is. One 2015 source predicted that by 2020, ADHD medications would have worldwide gross sales of $17.5 billion. Bloomberg reported in 2019 that the total would be $24.9 billion by 2024. The exact figures in 2020 as I publish this are unclear, but they are gloomy. In 2014, industry developed another deliriously inclusive diagnosis, quote, sluggish cognitive tempo. Lily's video describes this and recommends more drugs. Amphetamines and their relatives are now being pushed aggressively for that vast new category, adults. The next section is entitled Street Use. Here are the recreational drugs. Marijuana is the most commonly used, then the opioids lumping together the street and prescriptions. The amphetamines are third, again counting both meth and the prescribed stimulants. In 2016, 6.5% of all U.S. citizens had used meth by the time they were 26 years old. To repeat, the meth made on the streets is identical to methamphetamine, the first of the four prescription drugs in the table above. With a higher dose is typical of abuse, people get euphoric and sped up for 8 to 24 hours. Users smoke, snort, inject, or take meth orally. 
Cocaine has similar effects, but it is used less because it is expensive. It only lasts around 30 minutes, so it is less harmful. In the long run, these drugs damage body systems, including the mouth, heart, kidneys, liver, and brain. The list of chemicals used to make meth may include drain cleaner, battery acid, paint thinner, and anhydrous ammonia, which is a gas used in fertilizer and refrigerant. Withdrawal after lengthy periods of consuming high doses produces fatigue, seizures, and depression, anxiety, and insomnia. Tweaking is a jittery state which occurs after the drug is taken for many hours or days. Symptoms include euphoria, disturbed speech, agitation, anxiety, and sometimes paranoia with aggressiveness. Strokes occur occasionally with heavy usage. The blood pressure rises and there is brain bleeding. Finger movements and repeated rubbing of the mouth or face are frequent and occasionally persist long term. Emergency physicians treat people on multi-day highs who are sometimes violent and hallucinating. Psychosis or loss of contact with reality has been reported in 10% of chronic street meth users in the U.S. and 50% in Japan. Symptoms like these usually go away after five to seven days, but some are persistent. One study reported psychosis in six of 98 children who were given amphetamines for less than two years. A common pattern is to use meth, have a psychotic episode, then get stuck on antipsychotics for years. This happened to a friend of mine. His doctors told him he had schizophrenia and refused to help him with taper off the medications. He did it himself and had a harrowing withdrawal. Law enforcement recognizes users, manufacturers, and dealers as violent, paranoid, aggressive, delusional, and often armed. These meth heads are the most unreliable and dishonest of the street drug people. They have been called coyotes because they are often homeless and prowl around looking for drugs, trying to survive. Their teeth rot, they age rapidly, and they die early. Pseudoephedrine Sudafed is an over-the-counter nasal decongestant that is a critical ingredient used to make street meth. Sixteen branded U.S. products contain it. Their yearly sales are over $600 million in 2011. We import all these ingredients, and between 2005 and 2010, the volume increased by 140%, from 382,000 kilograms to 650,000 kilograms a year. Congress passed a federal law in 2006 that finally required buyers to show their identification. It also created daily and monthly limits on the amount of drug one person could buy. The manufacturers aggressively opposed these rules. Since there were already state laws in most places, it didn't help much. In 2007, federal law limited the importation of bulk pseudoephedrine, and we placed it behind the counter. This did not seem to have much effect. There was no national movement to make it a prescription. A third of hospitalized burn patients in some counties, such as Franklin, Missouri, are there because of meth laboratory fires. Terrifically flammable and corrosive ingredients are mixed in containers as small as a Coke bottle using a method known as shake and bake. These amateur chemists often learn their trade on a YouTube video and may end up spending six months in a burn ward. This can cost taxpayers as much as $6,000 a day. Oregon and Mississippi passed laws that required prescriptions for pseudoephedrine compounds. There was a dramatic reduction in their meth arrests, 
meth treatment admissions, and even burn unit occupancy. Meth laboratory incidents nearly vanished over the short term. This was a win, but the drug manufacturers lobbied to keep other states from going down the same road. Groups such as the National Association of State Controlled Substance Authorities, and that's controlled with one L, advanced the counter-narratives. They said these trends were short-term. Drug makers and distributors heavily sponsor this group and others. This organization has a substantial website, but they misspelled their own name in the footer of their document. I speculate they hired some semi-illiterate copywriters to promote their point of view. The pseudoephedrine manufacturers say that importation from Mexico is now the primary problem and that restriction of decongestant sales has little impact on meth manufacture. They are right, but I do not think it makes them less culpable for their careless sales of pseudoephedrine. Mexico has become our biggest methamphetamine supplier, and the 2017 purity is high. In return, we exported violence. Since 2006, over 200,000 drug-related killings occurred in Mexico. The next section is entitled, The Situation Today. Stimulants are not well accepted in other countries. France has only one amphetamine relative available, Ritalin. Only 0.46% of their kids take it. Japan has substantial experience with these drugs. The dates to when their chemists first synthesized methamphetamine in 1893. Their military used them widely in World War II. They banned or tightly controlled the medication since 1951, and the country has a, quote, zero-tolerance policy today. The Japanese believe they are devastatingly addictive. Although Western experts claim that ADHD is ubiquitous, the Japanese believe that it is rare or even speculative. Adderall, the amphetamine compound, is smothered with regulations, and they use Concerta, the weaker, longer-acting drug, instead. Taking these medications into the country without special permission, even for personal use, lands you in prison. Japan also bans the importation and sale of any pseudoephedrine product of over 10% active ingredient because of their potential to be used in manufacturing. This ADHD stimulant frenzy follows the pattern of other patented drugs. Overwhelming marketing promotes biased industry studies that purport to show benefits. The profits with insurance reimbursement are mind-boggling. Rabid supporters are everywhere. The journals, the drug makers, the psychiatrists, and the academics all make money on the action. The psychiatrist's near-universal opinion is that this diagnosis is a disability that impedes success. They claim that the drugs allow drive and intelligence to emerge. In their circles, it is heresy to suggest illegitimacy. The harms are clear, however. There are reports of brain and cardiac damage and deaths with both street and prescription stimulants. Longer-term studies show no benefit. We are encouraging both disability labeling and the use of other toxic psychiatric drugs to treat side effects. There is no easy fix. These drugs are disastrously overprescribed. street use is a calamity, and we have no proper plan to deal with any of it. Perspective by Dr. Katz As a recently trained physician, I believe this chapter has flaws. First, I do not think we should equate prescription medical use with abuse. The doses are far higher for street use. And although our medical usage is widespread, based both on my personal experience and study, 
I believe the positive effects of prescribed amphetamine-like drugs outweigh the harm, but we need more studies. Bregan confuses correlation with causation. The reason the kids receive these medications makes them more likely to have problems later. Sudafed is useful for treating allergies and sinus congestion. I also believe that ADHD of adults is a real diagnosis, it is treatable with these drugs, and it is possibly underdiagnosed. Dr. Yoho's case against amphetamines appears circumstantial. He seems to believe that because so many people are taking these drugs that it is wrong. Author's comment. My opinions are not popular with physician reviewers who are trained to intervene. Here, this means prescribing something, anything. The studies have shown minimal or no long-term efficacy and significant long-term permanent toxicity. This should preclude their use. The obvious damages seen with the high doses taken by street junkies are a minor problem compared to the ubiquitous usage of lower doses by nearly everyone else.